I want to talk today about Reformation identity. Before the Reformation, at least the roughly 500 years prior to the Reformation, the church had lost its way. And so when Martin Luther came on the scene, he was taught that God's righteousness meant that he had to present himself as righteous before God. And being a man of sensitive conscience and clear understanding of the holiness of God, he realized that there was no way in which he could present himself to God as righteous. He tried, even to the extent of beating himself to unconsciousness, trying to beat sin out of his body. He tried through confession, confession of his sins that would go on for hours until his confessor was exhausted by the extent of Luther's confession. And that was the way it was understood at that time. Until by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the eyes of Luther were opened through the pages of Scripture to see that righteousness of God means that God makes us righteous, gives us the righteousness of Christ through faith, by the power of the Spirit. It is the work of God that gives us new birth and transforms us and fills us with the righteousness of Christ so that we no longer stand under the condemnation of the law, but we stand instead in the full and complete victory of our risen Savior, Jesus. And that's what Reformation identity is all about. It is realizing that our identity comes from God to us. Our identity comes through the work of Jesus Christ for us. Our identity comes from the power of the Holy Spirit giving us new birth into resurrection life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what it means to keep the up straight. We'll see more clearly in the next slide what I mean by that. I believe that when we live with proper Reformation identity, we live in three dimensions. Our up is relationship with God. Our in 
is relationship with one another as the body of Christ. Our out is that we are called to be on the mission of Jesus Christ in the world today. We are to be reaching out with the good news of Reformation identity to a world that is increasingly lacking understanding and knowledge and faith in what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. But it all begins with the up, and that white arrow pointing down is intended to remind us that everything that we need, everything about us is a gift of God. Bill mentioned to me this morning something about my name and a little takeoff from it, and I said, I'm rich, and we all are. We all have Christ's riches in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is none of us that has been brought into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ that isn't overflowing with the riches of God because that is God's gift to us. That is God's gracious action and work in our lives. And so, in order to respond properly in worship, we must first of all begin by recognizing that everything that we are and have has been given to us by our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the indwelling spirit, that elicits our worship and our praise. That is how we then respond back to God to glorify him. We take what he has given to us and we give it back to him in worship. So we gotta keep the up straight. Not like it was before the Reformation where it was about how am I going to get right with God, but rather how it is for us as Reformation identity, Reformation celebrating Christians who recognize that everything flows from God to us and he has done everything for us. Everything that we need for life and godliness has come to us. That also empowers the in, how we relate to one another. A couple of weeks ago, Marilyn and I were reading in uh, scripture one morning about how Paul was so appreciative of the Corinthian congregation. Now, if you're familiar with the Corinthian letters, you know that they were not the easiest people to get along with. But Paul was appreciative. He gave thanks to God for them. He appreciated each one of them. And that's the way we are to see each other. I know you see each other on Sunday morning. You say hi and you greet each other and you're happy to see each other. But what about on Wednesday? Do you remember to pray a prayer of appreciation for each other? Do you think about a brother or sister in Christ gathered here this morning that you know, you're just going to lift up before the Father and say, thank you for that person in my life. Thank you for the blessing that they bring to me because they 
are a gift of God to you. That's the end. That's the body of Christ. That's the recognition that we are all in the same place of having complete access to our Heavenly Father because of what God has done for us. And that's the out then too. We have to have the up straight for the out to happen because you see, we need to start looking around at those around us, our neighbors particularly, those people that we run into and spend time with regularly and we need to ask, do they know what God wants to pour into their lives? Do they know what God's grace wants to give them? Do they know that they can have a new identity in Christ? Do they know that they can have all of the riches of the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Do they know that the Holy Spirit wants to give them new birth into life? These two passages kind of remind us uh, of all that we have been blessed with. The first passage is, is one of my favorites. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. God has not held back one ounce of anything that we need to live a life in the righteousness of Christ to the praise of his glory and to the outreach of his love to the world that he sent his son to die for. Through the knowledge of him, of Christ, of Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by these he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Do you see yourself as that each day? Do you see yourself as someone who through the righteousness of Christ is a partaker of the divine nature, the divine nature, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has made his residence in your life, in my life. And that's what has transformed us. We have the indwelling spirit to connect us with the living, resurrected Christ and the glorious Heavenly Father, the good, good Father who looks at us and he says, because of all that Jesus has done, I'm well pleased with you. What an amazing reason to live every day in our Reformation identity and in Reformation celebration because by all of these gifts, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world. We have escaped from the slavery of sin, the hold of sin upon us that we could not break the bondage of ourselves. We have been set free from through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember that before the Reformation, and even, unfortunately, sadly, some Christians still live with this thought today that they need someone between them and God. 
Before the Reformation, Luther saw the church and the papacy and the priesthood as all of those things that were between him and God. Saints praying to saints. But that's not what the Word of God says. That's not what the living Word of God Christ tells us. No, he says what? For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You don't need me between you and God. You don't need your pastor between you and God. You don't need anyone between you and God. You have direct access to your heavenly Father through the power of the victory of Christ and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's uh, what Paul is really talking to us about in the epistle lesson today. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What is Paul basically saying? He said to Luther in the Reformation, Luther, all the things that you're doing, all the things that you're trying to make yourself acceptable to God, they'll never work. Because you cannot do it. The only thing that you can and must realize through the law is that you're accountable to God. And then as you realize that you are accountable to God, you begin to recognize why God himself had to answer that accountability on your behalf and on mine. Only God could do it. Only God could himself answer accountability before his holy righteousness, and he did that in his son, Jesus Christ, who became, as we see in the next slide, the propitiation for our sins, the payment price, the one who takes away the power and bondage of the accountability before God. And so Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. It has nothing to do with how, what are we doing for God. It has everything to do with what is God doing for us. What has God done for us? What is God continuing to do for us? 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood, the payment price by his sacrifice on Calvary's cross that then declares our justification through his resurrection from the dead to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what is God's righteousness? It is that he has made you righteous in Christ. He has removed the dividing wall of hostility that separated us from him because of our sin. He has taken away the veil, which we talked about the last time that I was here. He has removed the separation by his work for us. That's what we celebrate Reformation for. And that's what also should reform us every day to be people who are on mission to a lost world to know the good news of God's saving grace in his son, Jesus Christ. Then, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. I have no boast in what I do. I have no boast in who I am. I have no boast in anything that I think I've done for God. It's excluded. We all have one boast. We boast in what Jesus has done for us. We boast to the world about the grace of God and the good news of his son Jesus. We boast about his power made perfect in our weakness. We boast about God willingly coming and making himself in his son Jesus the servant of the world so that the world might be saved through him. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. When we believe in Jesus, there's no boast in us. It's all boasting about him. Lifting up the name of Jesus. Lifting high the cross and resurrection of Jesus. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. I think when we focus on this three-dimensional kind of living, an up that recognizes God has poured everything into our lives, 
an end that recognizes what a blessing it is to be a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. Hopefully that causes us to talk more on Sunday morning about Jesus than about cowboys. We ought to boast to one another about Jesus on Sunday morning, certainly. And out. How are you boasting about Jesus in your neighborhood? How are you about boasting about Jesus when you go to the senior center or whatever it might be called? How are you boasting about Jesus whenever God gives you the opportunity? A couple of weeks ago at the church, The Vine, that Marilyn and I attend, I was introduced to this little app that has been developed called blesseveryhome.com. You might be saying, you know, I'm getting at the upper end of life. What can I do in an out to let other people know the good news of Jesus? Well, blesseveryhome.com is one way. You sign up for it, and what they give you are 40 names and addresses of your neighbors. You tell them where you live, they give you 40 houses around you. You can modify it if you have already a specific area. For example, we already are working in our neighborhood among 40 homes, and so I've modified it so that I'm praying for those 40 homes that we are already trying to reach out to. Or you can simply pray for the homes that they give you. And every day, you'll get an email of five homes to pray for that day. What would happen? What could God do if every Christian was praying for five other homes every day? What could God do to transform this society which is becoming increasingly separated from God's love? The Bible tells us prayer is a powerful thing. The prayer of a righteous man, which is, by the way, a righteous woman also, and that's all of us, right? Because we are righteous in Christ. The prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man, a righteous woman does a great thing. So I implore you to consider carefully not just that we celebrate the Reformation that happened roughly 500 years ago, but we live the Reformation each day and maybe we start with this simple method of saying, you know what, I'm going to commit to praying for my neighbors. And maybe God will surprise you and give you an opportunity then to share Jesus with them and share with them where your boast is at. It's in Him. It's in the living presence of God who has done everything through his son Jesus. 
and all God's people say, Amen.